Hi, this is Wilson from Renew Church OC. Thanks for joining our podcast. After the pandemic, it's been easy to do Chipotle Church, where we get to choose how much church we want every week. Maybe I'll stay home this Sunday. I feel like opening my Bible today, but not tomorrow. I'll go to small group and not Sundays. Our City Monk series challenges this construct of church and pushes us to reorder our life around Jesus and the Sabbath. It's a call to live in contrast to a city that is busy and burnt out. Instead, we live unhurried lives, wrapping our daily and weekly schedule around being with Jesus. I hope you get a chance to check out our church on Sunday in Fullerton, California at 10 a.m. I hope you enjoy the series. All right, we have a question before we start the sermon. and This is per renewed tradition. We love sharing our lives, uh, praying for each other in the service. And so the discussion question today is, why do you go to church on Sundays? All of you guys are here, so why do you show up? And then the second question is a trap. Um, where does church rank in the competing priorities of Sundays? Whether that's work, social life. Some of us are like, oh, it's kind of rainy. I might not come. So kind of like, honestly, where do you see church in terms of importance in all the competing priorities? All right. All right welcome back, everyone. Thanks so much for sharing with your groups. Hope you had a good time. My group had to share right in front of my face, so they catered their answers towards, towards me, but all really encouraging answers. All right, we're in our City Monk series, and we have three parts of the series as we share about often, um, and it's really a, a repackaging, reskinning of our vision and values of a church. It's also speaking to the type of disciple that we're trying to cultivate as a community. So the first is the monk. And when we think about what a monk does and is, it's someone who reorients and reorders their life around Jesus. When we think about reordering our life, we think about our life is ordered in sleeping and waking, right? We order our life at what time we're going to go to sleep, what time we're waking up, when we're going to eat, the going to our job, commuting in and out of it. Our life and our day is ordered around those things. But a monk says that God is the most important person to order their lives around. So how as a community and individually have we ordered our life around Jesus daily? How are we sitting in front of him, hearing his word, and fellowshipping with him as the most important thing we do every day, as the one thing as Jesus talked to Mary about? The second piece is the monastery. So when we think about a monk going into a monastery, the monastery has set spiritual rhythms that this person is inviting into. They don't get to define it. They move and are invited into the spiritual rhythm of the monastery. But I think that as an American church, we're easily consumeristic. We do Chipotle church often where I just want to uh, mix and match the type of church that will benefit me. I want to take as much church into my day as I want, right? So some weeks I'll go to church, some weeks I won't. Sometimes I go to small groups, sometimes I don't. It's Chipotle church. But we hope as a community over the next few weeks to talk about church as um, a rhythm that God has built out in our life. And that should be in, in many ways immovable. So that's the argument I'm going to make for you today and over the next two weeks. What it looks like for church to be a monastery, that we're inviting you into a communal rhythm and not just individual rhythms. And this communi communal rhythm 
is established by the Lord. And thirdly, we look at the city. So this is the last three weeks of our series where we'll look at what it means to live missionally in our occupation, to reach the marginalized in the city, and to reach unreached cities. And so we're not just monks isolated and insular, but we're monks, we're city monks. We live in the city. Okay, so when we talk about what this communal rhythm looks like, why we go to church on Sunday, it's easy to think of church as just kind of like a construct, a religious construct that people have put together, that pastors have made in order to fill seats so that people will listen to them. Or something that is a part of Christian tradition, like we've just always done this. I've grown up going to church, and so I'm going to continue going to church. Um, and when we think about its priority, especially over COVID, we've had to reassess church as a priority. Is it more important than work? Is it less important than our social life? Do we send our kids to our schools but not our Sunday service? And everyone is having this really realistic vision of where church lands in priority. And COVID was a huge reset on that. So when I'm doing research on church and its origins and how far back it goes, it's shocking to me that it all starts at creation. So when you look at Genesis chapter 2, 1 to 3, this is the origin story of us gathering on Sundays. Thus the heaven and earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So when you look at an argument, a theological argument, and it's rooted in creation, it becomes extremely deep and impenetrable when Paul does this. Because that creation chapters, chapter 1 and 2 of Genesis, is speaking about the way things are meant to be. How he created us to function, to relate to him, like walking with him in the coolness of the day. How we're to relate to each other in vulnerable and loving and caring ways and how we're to relate to the earth. It's earth 1.1, 1.0. It's the, it's the alpha version of earth. And when, you, and when you take an argument and you root it in those first two chapters of Genesis, you're saying it's not about contextualization. It's not about their culture. It's not a compromise of sin. This is how God created us to be. And so when we think about the seventh day being put into creation, what we're saying, what the Bible is saying is that this rhythm of working and resting, this rhythm of Sabbathing is as deep to us as waking and sleeping. This rhythm of Sabbathing is like eating. It's what we were created to do. It's in our bones. It goes all the way back to how God designed us to be. For us to say that we don't need a Sabbath is to say that we don't need to sleep. And when I look at our society, it feels like we're running on zero sleep sometimes. That we're burnt out. That we're empty. That we're spiritually desolate. And it's because... We often don't keep the Sabbath. But what's also interesting about this first uh, um, passage is that there's a delineation between this verse in, and day in the seventh day as compared to the first six days. 
In the first six days, God creates the earth. He separates land from sea. He makes the birds. He makes humans. He makes plants and animals. And at the end of each day, he says there was uh, evening and there was morning. There's this break between one day to the next. Between the second and third day, the fourth and fifth day, there's a break. There's an there's a ending and a new beginning. But the seventh day, there's no break. It doesn't, it doesn't have a stop. It doesn't have an ending. It's supposed to continue. The seventh day of being blessed and holy and resting. And the way God has created things to be is that we always work out of the seventh day. That men are called to work. They're called to steward the earth. And we were like God in our work. And so, but our work wasn't laborious or arduous. It was creative. We discovered things. We were passionate about it. Work was easy and fun, and it wasn't about survival. And we were like God in our rest. That we emulate God. We are like God when we rest as well. And there's this rhythm of work and rest, but it all resided on that seventh day. But then this rhythm is broken when sin enters the world. And God curses the land and it becomes our enemy. It produces thorns and thistles. And our work becomes difficult and, and laborsome. And, and here we see this breaking of, of rest, of the seventh day. And work is difficult and hard. And that's where Deuteronomy chapter 5 comes in. This difficult labor is encapsulated in slavery as Israel is being enslaved in Egypt. And here is when God establishes the seventh and Sabbath day again. In verse 12 it says, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Sixth day you, will, you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So here God delivers Israel from Egypt. And he's trying to teach them that they are sons and not slaves. And they do that by inaugurating the Sabbath day. So the Sabbath day literally means to stop. That's the direct translation. And the stopping of a full day is what delineates them from being slaves versus sons and daughters of God. It, it teaches them that they're not slaves to their work. They are not what they do. Their whole value doesn't come from what they produce. Because they've learned that for 400 years in the Egyptian culture and as slaves. But we've learned that as well, haven't we? There's so many times in our life where our whole schedule, our whole life is dictated by our work. That our whole value comes out of what we do. I've heard people wait for us to ask, for me to ask, what do you do? Because they're so proud of their occupation. But not only are they proud, there's this sense that their whole value resides in it. That their busyness is good because they are what they do. And I've seen other people kind of wither and, and, and be so upset when people ask them what they do. Because they're ashamed of it or they're, they feel a little lost or they don't take pride in what they do. 
But God here is saying that as you keep the Sabbath, you're reminded that you are not your work. That you are not a slave to your work. But you are a son and daughter of God. And the Jews understood that this fourth commandment of keeping the Sabbath is actually how they were to apply the first three commandments. The fourth commandment was the application of how you don't create other idols. You're carving out space to remind yourself that this is God. The, the fourth commandment is how you don't take the Lord's name in vain, that you worship and you give reverence to his name, how you don't have any other gods before him. This stopping to keep the Sabbath is how you stop to keep the other commandments. It was a pillar in their life. And so what does it look like for you to stop and say this seventh day or the Sabbath day is to be void of work? Because that's the command, that we're not to work, and the people under us are not to work as well. I think that's really difficult. I remember a season in my life with Nina where we're launching the church and we had nothing. You know, we had like 20, 30 people who wanted to do it with us. We're putting down chairs on Sunday. We're learning how to run systems and build teams. And we're plugging in all these holes. And we're just stressed out, right? How do you get a worship team going? How are we trying to set up the sound and, and do children's ministry? And that was, that was a full, like, two and a half years of figuring out how to do church. And on top of that, we were doing apartment life. So right across the street, right behind that wall are, are these, is this big apartment community that we were doing events for. So three times a month, we would put events on between 20 to 100 people. And I remember Nina would literally make brunch for 100 people. She would make pokey for 100 people. We would have to visit about 15 doors. We did four staff meetings. We would fly her three times a month for 650 apartments. It, was a, it felt like another full-time job. It was extremely tiring. And then we did Epic as well. Uh, we were about 50 to 70 people at the time, a college ministry right on Cal State Fullerton. A lot of you uh, started the church with me from that ministry. And um, we, I had a staff. I had a leadership team. And we saw this other thriving ministry in the midst of church planting, in the midst of apartment life. Nina was also going to school for occupational therapy. So we were working like 80 to 100 hours easy. And on the outside, people would be like, man, you guys are amazing. How are you doing this? How do you have this kind of capacity? But on the inside, we were tearing apart. We were breaking at the seams. Nina wasn't sure if she wanted to keep doing this with me. We weren't able to care for each other or ourselves. We weren't able to look up. We weren't able to set limits. I remember our house was emblematic of the chaos of ministry in our lives. Where after an apartment event, everything was dumped into our living room. As we're trying to put that away, after a tabling at Epic, all the flyers were dumped into our, our living room. And after Sundays, all the Sunday stuff was dumped into our living room because we had no storage. And our life was, was this really physical symbol that work took over every inch of our life. Our living room, our bedroom, our conversation, our schedules. And we were starting to break apart. Finally, we stepped out of apartment life. Um, we, we just started supporting Epic from afar. But we were still going out a lot to do ministry. And then finally the pandemic hit, 2020. And we had this huge reset. And I remember about third, the third or fourth week, we're sitting down for dinner because we can't have friends over. And Nina said, I'm really happy with our marriage. 
And I felt like I had never heard her say that. And I had tried to get her to say it. Like, I'd be like, are you happy with our marriage? And I would, like, subtly nod my head, you know, because it worked with the horse. I don't even know that story. And uh, Nina wouldn't nod. And uh, I'd be like, Nina, are you happy with our marriage? I'd give her a script, like, read this. I am happy with our marriage, right? And she wouldn't read it. I get frustrated. I'm like, we built a church together. You're an occupational therapist. We have two boys. We have a house. What are you not happy with? I'd be, I'd be really upset. And in, in the middle of a pandemic, <laughs> she's finally happy. I was like, how are you happy? She said, we're finally having dinners together. We're finally putting the boys to sleep together. We're finally taking walks together. And it was there that I started to guard my Sabbath. Not just a full day, but every evening. I would, I would guard it. I would say, God, you've given me this day to stop working. Like when we, go to, when we pay $250 for Disneyland, like we stop working, right? We spend the whole day enjoying that space. How can we spend a day with no appointments and no emails, with no phone calls, no planning, no looking ahead and setting agenda, where we're carving out a space to be with the Lord, to be with family and friends, and we're, and we're slowing down. And we're saying, God, this day, this Sabbath day is, is a void of work, that I'm fully stopped. I'm not going 100 miles an hour. I'm not taking adrenaline hits. I'm not... I'm, my gears aren't going. I'm emptying my mind of ministry, of work. I'm just throwing it into my calendar for the next week and I'm putting it aside. And I'm giving myself a full day to decompress and to carve out a space for you. What does stopping look like in your weekly life? What does it look like for you? Because we've reduced Sabbath to a two-hour block. Hour and a half, sometimes I go long in my sermon, right? So you have to commute home. So it's like a two-hour block that we reduce Sabbathing to, going to church on Sundays. But he's asking for us to stop working for a whole day. And he puts this in the rhythm of how he's created us. How are we observing the Sabbath? How is Sabbath allowing us to remember that we are not slaves to our work? That we are not what we do? That we are sons and daughters of God and that our provision comes from him. The second key word is holy. So again, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. The word holy literally means to set apart. So not only are we carving out, boxing out a space where we're able to slow down, turn off our screens um, and, and not work. But we're, we're filling the space with the Lord. We're filling the space with communing with him, communing with family, communing with our spiritual community. It's not just an empty space. It's a space that's set apart, that's carved out and then given to the Lord and saying, this is yours. When we become a Christian, we understand that all of our time is the Lord's. All of our money is his. All of our talents are his. But he's called us to steward most of that, right? He doesn't micromanage our budget. But when he calls something as holy, he's saying, I want, you're saying that all of your time is mine. I want this day. And when you give me this day, you know and I know that the rest of your days are mine too. 
you say that all of what you have is from me and for me, then I want this portion. I want you to give generously and intentionally and cheerfully. And if you can't give a portion of your finance to me, then it's probably not mine. It's a hard check. Do you see that? That when he calls something out, when he says, when he says that set this apart for me, it's a, it's a hard check. It's a heart check on whether it's our life is really his. And we're not, if we're not able to give a portion of our life to him, we're probably not giving our whole lives to him. Now you can do, you can give to God without loving him. You can serve God. You can give to him. You can set out a day without engaging relationally in love. It could be legalistic like the Pharisees. But you can't love him without giving to him. If our lives are really his, we're going to carve out space to be with him. So what does it look like to set apart a day? When we look at the Jewish Sabbath as well as Acts chapter 2, it's a day that's filled with the word of God being spoken to us, being read. It's a day of worship, prayer, fellowship with family and believers, and food and fun. So I was listening to this podcast of two theologians who resided in in Israel and Jerusalem for a while. And these Orthodox Jews are still practicing the Sabbath. So they paint a picture uh, for the, their audience of them walking down a marketplace in an alley. And all these people have are food vendors. So they're selling fish and leeks and bread. And, and all these Jews are out there buying food because they're preparing for their Sabbath meal on Friday night. Their Sabbath day starts on Friday night sundown and ends on Saturday sundown okay so friday is their first meal so this day is the street is filled with people buying and selling um they're gathering food for their for their meal and then 15 minutes before sundown these these jews who are very devoted to their faith some of them are are learning to be um you know priests or or um or teachers in their synagogues they go through the streets and they start blowing trumpets 15 minutes before to let everyone know that the sabbath is coming and almost at a, as like a flip of the switch the streets get emptied right at sundown all the tables are rolled up and and the whole alley is hollow and these two people these scholars uh, christian scholars are walking down the streets describing how they're hearing songs sung in Hebrew, the Bible being read, fathers blessing their wives, wives praying over the family, lighting candles, laughter around the table. And this whole community is, is doing this hard stop to observe the Sabbath, to have a Sabbath dinner, the food's prepared, the house is clean, and at that dinner, as they're reading blessings, they're inviting the Lord to eat with them. Then Sunday morning, they wake up. There's a synagogue less than a mile in every Jewish community. They go to the synagogue. And for three hours, they hear the word, they pray, they worship, and they're with their community engaging with the Lord. They have lunch together. They do another service in the afternoon. And then they go back to their families at dinner. And they say goodbye to the Sabbath. They have a final meal. And when the third star in the sky comes out, Sabbath ends, and they go back to their work week. And then when we see the Christians, in the same way, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer, they gathered at the temple. So again, there's this meeting together to hear his word, to worship, to pray, to fellowship. 
So the first application is how are you boxing out and carving out a day out of the week to be with for the Lord? And the second application is how are you filling that like, our, like the Jews had for 30 centuries, like the Christians had for 20 centuries in the word, worship, prayer, and fellowship? How are you, you uniquely uh, using this time to give to God? So I hope that on your iCal, um, there's a full day where you're saying, this is for the Lord. I'm not working. I'm shutting everything down. Even my brain space isn't going. And I'm, as I slow down, I'm bringing God in to hear his word, to pray, to be with other believers, to be with my family. My Sabbath day is Monday because I'm doing this on Sunday. I try to engage with the Lord, but sometimes I'm also, you know, totally absent, uh, fully working. So Mondays, I take my kids to school, and then I go straight to volleyball. And uh, I play super hard. It's, it's my best volleyball group, so I have to, like, really perform or they'll kick me out. And after that, I try to elongate uh, my time there, and I read the Bible app, the devotional that we're, a lot of us are reading together. I think about it. And then I go home and I either eat lunch at home or I eat at the beach. And I just spend a time where I'm just having a meal with the Lord. Then in the afternoon, uh, I take a nap. Um, and it's wonderful. And I really try to take that whole day out of stimulus. Meaning that I'm not gaming. I'm not reading upsetting news. I'm not on Netflix. I'm just totally slowing down over this afternoon. Sometimes I'll do some housework. And then I go coach. So I'm doing something I enjoy and uh, like my alternate life, right, I'll go coach. And I hope that when you serve on Sundays that it would, there would be a joy to it. That it's restful in a different way even as you help with AV or setup or uh, worship. And then I pick up my kids at 6 p.m. and I just spend the rest of the time playing with them, um, eating with them, and, and putting them to sleep. And it's a day that I've guarded in in order to love my family, to be with some close friends, and to be with the Lord. And I'm totally winding down and putting away um, my work. All right, the third point, we're almost done, is I really wanted alliteration. So, so what is it? The Sabbath literally means stop. Holy literally, literally means set apart. And blessed does not literally mean sips of heaven. It means gift or favor of God. I actually went on Urban Dictionary to look up sips to make sure it doesn't mean something like really bad. And it doesn't. So, that, so then I made it work. I think though in the context of Sabbathing, that it really is God giving us um, a taste of heaven. That the seventh day is broken by sin. The seventh day where, where we're rested. Where we're not working in arduous ways, where, where, we ha where we're with him, it's broken by sin. But then when he establishes Israel, he carves out that space once again. And he gifts us with a day. A day where we're reminded that he's the one who provides for us. Not, not the sweat on our brow, not the work of our hands, not our employee, but he provides. And he does this right away for the Israelites. They walk down from Mount Sinai. They're journeying towards Canaan. They do 40 years of wandering. And every day he provides for them. 
It's not your slave masters. It's not Egypt. It's not the Nile. It's not other gods. It's me. They would wake up in the morning. They had no uh, capacity to, to create food because they're traveling. And there would just be this bread that pops up like dew that just, is, that just appears on the ground. And they would harvest this bread and eat it. And manna means what is this, right? A very appropriate name. Every day for 40 years, they were, it was like the Lord was nursing this baby nation, teaching them that I am your um, parent and I love you. And on the sixth day, he would give them enough manna for the seventh day so that they wouldn't have to labor on the seventh day. So that they wouldn't have to work. And then they'd go into an agricultural setting where no farmer leaves ripe fruit on the vine, you know, during harvest time. They work every single day. But they remember that God had provided them for them. And even in an agricultural setting, on the seventh day, they stopped. And this, they said, this day's for you. And when all the other cultures are slaves to their work, they were reminded that they're sons and daughters. That this day is holy and set apart. That it is blessed. It's blessed because God provides for them. And they don't have to work their fingers to the bone. They have a God who loves them and who allows them to rest. What's even more crazy is that there would be a Sabbath year. So every seven years, there would be a full year where the Israelites don't have to work. God says don't, don't plant uh, grain or, or vegetables. Don't harvest. You could pick what's already growing, but let the land rest. And on the seventh year, they would have a whole year where they're not farming. And, and there's this natural question of, like, are we going to die? Like, if you're, in our agri- if you're a farmer, you're, you're obviously just be like, okay, God wants us to starve to death. So within the law, this is um, Leviticus chapter 25, God says, I will give you three years' worth of harvest on the sixth year so that you'll have enough for the seventh and have enough for the eighth when you start to plant again. Think about the space that God is carving out for his people. Trust me, I'm not a slave master, I'm a father. You're not my slaves, you're my sons and daughters. So I'm giving you the space to play, to be worry-free, to not carry your anxieties. You have a seventh day where you get to relive Eden, where you will have enough. Where you don't have to worry about inflation or interest rates or housing prices booming, where you can just trust me to provide. And then the seventh day, the Sabbath day, is to continue into all the other days where we learn to trust God on the seventh. And so we learn to live with peace and trust as we work all the other days as well. The second blessing is the blessing of rest and renewal. There's two Hebrew words for the word rest, and I can't pronounce Neither of them. Um, But the first word is about just kind of relaxing and recuperating. Think about like laying on your bed because you're tired. Or kind of like sitting back and just just trying to regain energy. But the second word of rest is renewal. It's being refreshed. And I see a society who only knows how to rest the first way. They work, they work, they work, they get burnt out and they just lay down. And once they get just enough energy, they get up and they work again. But when we learn how to Sabbath, God gives us the second stage of rest that we can't do unless we're doing the first. The second stage of rest where we're rejuvenated, 
where we have life again, where we remember our purpose, we remember our identity, where we have vision, where we're not just screwing around trying to find purpose, but we, we hear the call of God and we walk towards what he's calling us to do. How can we go into this, how as we're creating a space for the Sabbath and setting it apart from God, are we experiencing his rest and renewal? And lastly, we get to sip on heaven by being with God in community. By worshiping like the Jews and the early Christians did. We worship today because in heaven, all there is is worship. When you read Revelations, there's chaos on earth as Armageddon is, is, is just destroying parts of the planet. And then it flips and you see these scenes of heaven and earth back and forth. And in the chaos, in as much chaos as there is on earth, when you hit heaven, it's serene and peaceful and God is sovereign and the angels are singing. The angels are always singing. And when we sing, we taste and join in the singing of heaven. We hear his word from a limited man trying to share God's perfect word. But it's the shadow of hearing the word of God from the logos of God. And longing for that clear voice. For that perfect messenger. When we're with people, uh, Christians now, gathering as community, it's this piece of heaven. Where instead of uh, someone talking to us that we don't know and we're like, oh, it's a scam. They're going to ask us for our wallet. You know, they're going to sell us something. We get to turn around to the people around us. And whether we know them or not, we get to share a piece of our heart, of our humanity, of our spiritual life with one another. And that's a piece of heaven. We get to experience heaven here. I hope that you guys would join us on our retreat because it's three days. We're carving out three days as a monastery to learn how to sit with the Lord, to learn how to put down our phones and our work and to hear his voice and to be with each other. If you've been to a good retreat, doesn't it feel like heaven where you're living and eating and, and, and falling asleep with the people you love? You know, there's a theologian who says, if we don't enjoy Sabbath on earth, we won't enjoy heaven for eternity. If we don't enjoy the whispers of heaven, if we don't enjoy the Costco samples of heaven, we're not going to enjoy the 16-gallon of heaven. Do you love your Sabbath day? Because... It's like Adam and Eve in the garden. Because it's like participating in eternity. God has gifted us this day. It's a gift. It's not about legalism. It's not about rules and rituals. It's a gift from the Father to say you are sons and daughters and not slaves. And you can trust me. And I want to bless you. God, thank you so much for today, for the start of our Sabbath day. Where we could put down work. Where we can say, I don't serve another master or another God. I'm not my accomplishments or my failures. I am a daughter. I am a son.
of a God who loves me, of a God who's creating heaven here, of a God who will provide for me, of a God who wants to lift me out of weariness and being burnt out and breathe life and renewal into my bones. For a whole day, he's going to resurrect me so that I can live with life on all the other days. God, I pray that Sundays wouldn't be going to church and waiting for lunch. I pray that Sundays wouldn't be a religious ritual. I pray that Sundays would be a day that you've blessed, that you've called holy, and that we've rested. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, this is Pastor Wilson again. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If our sermons have been a blessing to you, I'd love for you to consider supporting our church and ministry. As we approach the end of the year, we're asking our church family to consider investing into a special fund that support our interns and seminarians. Renew has a vision of investing in pastors for the next generation through our internship program. And your financial partnership can help set up a young pastor or missionary to faithfully serve the Lord for the next 30 to 40 years. I often dream about what Irwin or Kevin will do for the kingdom of God through their 30s, 40s, and 60s. Our goal is to raise $50,000 over the season. Would you consider joining us? You can give through PayPal or Venmo or by sending a check. All the information is on the description section of the podcast, or you can visit our website, and your investment is tax deductible. Thank you so much for being a part of our church family. If you're ever in the Fullerton, California area, please drop by into our Sunday service. I'd love to meet you. God bless.